Thank you for downloading the Engineering Commons. In this episode, we catch up with Sam Feller, who runs the website Awkward Engineer. He tells us a bit about his current interests, projects, and his latest entrepreneurial venture. Our conversation with Sam occurred about a month ago, so you'll notice at least one reference to Christmas being a month and a half away. You may also notice that our guest's sound quality is a little sketchy in spots. He was kind enough to join us in the middle of his family vacation, and so may not have had the fastest internet connection. Again, thank you for your patience, and we hope you enjoy this episode of the Engineering Commons. The Engineering Commons explores challenges encountered by engineers, regardless of field or industry. Join Adam, Brian, Carmen, and Jeff as they discuss issues of interest to today's engineering professional. This is episode 138, Still Awkward, December 18th, 2017. So Jeff... Have you ever wished you could leave the academic life and pursue a different career path? Maybe uh, gizmos and gadgets or try out something to make the world a better place? Well, Carmen, I had left the academic life before I joined the academic life. <laughs> That's true. You were a uh, expert machine designist back in the day. Yeah. Left the, uh, the good paying job and went out on my own and decided I was going to be a consulting engineer mm -hmm. and spent, uh, spent about a decade doing that before I decided I was going to head back to the, uh, to school and, uh, try to teach. So yeah, I've, I've, uh, I've left the academic life and back I've come. You decided the world is better off without you trying to fix it. Well, not necessarily. I thought that maybe I could contribute more, you know, maybe shaping the lives of our young engineers than, you know, solving one more machine design problem slowly and painfully by myself. Yeah. Um, Still a noble quest. Well, <laughs> yeah, it, uh, I, uh, I suppose that, uh, the, the big thing was when I was working on my own, I was basically a one man band. Uh, and aside from talking, uh, to some friends from time to time and, and talking with the client as needed, right? I was pretty much on my own, you know, coming up with the problems and solving the problems I was on my own. And, and, uh, at least in academia, you've got the, uh, the students to talk to, you've got other instructors, uh, uh, to converse with from time to time. So it's a, it's a little more social activity than, uh, than it was being on my own. Yeah, definitely for sure. And, uh, you know, you're a little older than I am. So did these machines, did they run on hydropower and oxen or was there electricity? <laughs> no, <laughs> they, they most all had, uh, had electrical hookup. So, um, yeah, I, I kid, I kid, I figured there was electricity. <laughs> This would be a way cooler podcast if you're like 150 years old, though. <laughs> I, yes, probably so. Maybe when I get to be 150, we can keep doing this, okay? Yeah, episode 2000 or so. Right. Well, yeah. well by then, we're going to be looking at, you know, plasma conduits or something like that. I mean, th that's the big, the big yeah. thing, right? Yeah, you'll be having hover roads and everything. It'll be real cool. Yeah. Yeah, intergalactic highways. <laughs> right. Well, all the machines will be harvesting energy. All the RF, they'll harvest that and run on that. All of it, yeah. 
<laughs> but let's let's not stray too far from the topic. <laughs> Tonight we're going to talk to uh, Sam Feller, who's returning to the show after a 68 episode hiatus. Working out his contract was a real pain in the ass. <laughs> Sam runs the website Awkward Engineer and develops projects that will improve your life, like the voltmeter alarm clock, the emergency button switch, and the uh, looks to be retired perfect cookie dunking cup. And uh, recently, though, this awkward guy's taken a more philanthropic approach to his engineering, and today we're going to catch up with Sam and find out what he's been up to after three years. So, Sam, welcome back to the show. Hello. Hey, good to have you on again. Glad to be back. Hey, Sam. So, since we've last spoken, have your social skills improved? Are you still awkward? Um, I'm still, the, the awkward phase is not, it's not a phase, it's just how I am. Oh, good. <laughs> Truth in advertising, then. You're not lying to us. You're authentic. Uh, and has has the awkward engineering uh, firm you started turned into your full-time gig, or is it still a side project? Uh, so it's still a side project, but it's definitely brought some money in over the years, which is a lot of fun to you know realize some profit from things that I enjoyed doing. Oh, wow. Actually profiting. It's not even just self-sustaining. Way to go. Yeah. Can't say any of my hobbies have turned a profit. <laughs> No, most of mine go the other way. Yeah. <laughs> a long ways the other way. Yeah, that's right. So is it still just you or have you uh, hired on any helping hands? Yeah, well, I, I suppose when you say just me, like I'm the sole you know, engineer, designer, marketer, etc. But mm -hmm. there's kind of like a, a behind the scenes team. Like I've got a, a logistics house that does all the shipping and order fulfillment. Is that the, the local house? What'd you say? I remember last time. It's all coming back to me now. Is this the uh, the local house that uses? Um, oh, you had someone you contracted out that was local, and they had something noble about them. The way they built the stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the box builders I used on the first round, uh, it was like a, a home for the mentally disabled, and so it was you know they find jobs and work for them to do. You know, pays a real wage. And so I used them on the the first round, or I guess the first batch, the Kickstarter order fulfillment. Uh, but on subsequent batches, my circuit board assembly house added box build services as sort of a, a value add. And so it was it was easier because they were already they were already receiving parts. They had a really good inventory system, so I could just consign all my box build items to them and had some really good procedures written. And they they just assembled voltmeter clocks for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's really nice when it works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. When everything goes smoothly, it's always much nicer. But even from the beginning, then, you've always kind of had this ability to be, uh, I don't know, philanthropic, for lack of a better word. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I like doing local business. And, you know, having a business doesn't mean you have to be a bad person. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely true. And Sam, just to, to uh, recap, since it's been a while, when you were on the last time, we talked about several of your products. And so our, our newer listeners may not know some of the wonderful products that you uh, offer through your website. Yeah, so I, I run awkwardengineer.com, uh, sell goofy stuff on the internet. So the first product I made was the panic button light switch kit. And I really like the idea of having an e-stop for bedroom light switch. Uh, <laughs> just being a mechanical engineer, being around all these red buttons on the machines that you're not really supposed to press unless it's an emergency. And so I, I figured if I wanted one so badly, then other people might too. So I, 
I think I, I decided I put $500 into it and I made about a hundred of these light switch kits and I, mm-hmm. I launched and I think I sold, I sold three or four on day one, including one to my mom and one to my dad. <laughs> and I said, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to have to hustle to sell the rest of these. So I, Walked up and down the street, literally going to like little stores in the neighborhood, seeing if they'd carry it. And they said no. Uh, but eventually I got into Think Geek and they really liked it and they ordered mm-hmm. a whole bunch more. And I've since moved thousands of them, which was pretty exciting for me. And I kind of felt like I was onto something. And I, right. I started learning from it and making more things. Um, so my. I have uh, engineering blueprint placemats. Those are still up and doing well. Uh, I invented a cup for Dunkin' Cookies. Uh, it failed as a Kickstarter, but the idea was licensed successfully, and you can buy them online now. Uh, I still have mine. It uh, changed my life. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Breakfast will never be the same. Yeah. And it was a proud moment. I, I've got a kid now, and the first time we dunked Oreos in the cookie cup together was a lot of fun. That's awesome. Neat. And then I guess my most my most financially successful product to date has been my analog voltmeter clock. So that that came out of a successful Kickstarter, and then uh, the following year I did uh, an alarm clock version of it. And then since then I I haven't done I call it commercial development. I, I still love making things. Uh, and I still like invent and design and release things and put them up publicly on Awkward Engineer, um, but I haven't I haven't geared towards a, a Kickstarter or anything recently. I've been putting the rest of my time into my startup, which is RightGrid LLC. We make a solar powered cell phone charging kiosk. Hmm. Okay. Cool. And you in your uh, RightGrid website, you talk about how uh, you're going to send them to the third world and. You know, you actually have shipped some units to Africa already, but are you have plans to send them elsewhere too, like in the U.S. as well? Uh, so that's a good question. We're we're kind of in a state of limbo as a company. Uh, we're incredibly tight on cash right now, but there's a, a demonstration unit in the DRC, the DRC, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and then we've got units that are in a shipping container making their way to Ghana right now. Um, and so we had started out, we've got about two dozen units deployed around the U.S., mostly in the New England area. And we kind of use that as a development effort uh, just to build things in our own backyard, like doing, doing field service and learning and figuring things out is much easier when you don't have to fly across an ocean. Just slightly, yeah. 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 So... We, we kind of knew as a company, like people in the U.S. are very hesitant to pay for electricity and cell phone charging. Like people would ask a bartender to plug their phone in, not realizing that electricity, you know, costs money. A bartender just does it. it it's so cheap relative to everything else we do that mm-hmm. people don't think much about the cost of electricity. But in Africa, people are willing to pay. And so we knew that the, the business model just made more sense getting stations deployed over there. So we're we're tight on cash. We've got units on a boat making their way across the ocean. And then out of nowhere, uh, an American company was interested in turning some of their on-grid products into off-grid products. And here we had this experience 
building solar systems, uh, building out like a, a remote monitoring system and a back end to support them. And we said, yeah, we'd love to build some demonstration units for you. So we, we did a little work for this unnamed U.S. company as well. Very cool. Now, you called this uh, your startup company. Did you help found it, or is this something you signed on to? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a co-founder. A good chunk of the company is mine. Uh, I, I uh, met the CEO at like a, a hardware startup meeting uh, several years ago, and he said he was working on some cell phone charging stuff. And I was like, that sounds cool. And he described what he was doing, and I was like, maybe I can help you. And uh, I met up with him and saw his prototypes, and I was like, I can definitely help you. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, it's been just a a heck of an experience. I've really grown. Like I'd had a lot of entrepreneurial experience through Awkward Engineer, but with RightGrid, it really gave me the opportunity to kind of grow from being like a, just a mechanical engineer to being head of product development for a company. And I was involved with hiring the electrical embedded engineers, back end, like cloud engineer, helping put together a project plan for the team, keeping all the, the teams like on, on task, on schedule, moving forwards. Uh, it's been a, a real growing experience for me. Sounds like you're making the move into uh, management as well. So you, you you say that, and it's it's, <laughs> it's happening, but I haven't stopped engineering. I haven't stopped making things. Yeah, you're still in that that startup phase. Have you found yourself transferring the technical skills from awkward engineer to uh, right grid? Because last time we spoke, you were you know trying to optimize a microcontroller to save some microamps. Absolutely, I think the technical skills that I built up in awkward engineer were invaluable. Like here, I am a mechanical engineer by training. But mechanical engineers who know how to set registers on a low-level microcontroller, I think it's a little unusual. And so when I was working with my other engineers, like I, I knew plenty about what they were doing, enough to be able – like we had some junior engineers just out of school, and they were smart enough to figure things out, but I could give them guidance and help them. They just, they'd never tackled a problem that big before. Yeah, they're still green. Yeah, they'd done, they'd done homework assignments, maybe class projects, but they never had the experience of breaking down such a large project before. Yeah, even a senior design project is much smaller scale. Yeah, and so with, with my background and like knowing what they were doing and what they were going through, and I could say, this is how we're going to break this down. Like, we're going to... We're going to write low-level drivers first. When we're going to start, you know, adding logic above that, you know, we'll we'll have a nice, like, easy way that we can test and show that we're making progress. You know, know that we're not getting stuck anywhere. Know that we're headed in the right direction, <laughs> and and then we'll start writing the like the application logic on top of all that. So I could, I guess, all those cross-disciplinary skills really helped me. I wouldn't have been able to lead the team the way I did without the experience I had with Awkward Engineer. Adam, don't apply your hobbies to civil engineering because there's no need to brew beer and design a road at the same time. This doesn't translate to all hobbies. <laughs> well, that's too bad. <laughs> keep it, keep it to your off time once you punch out. Yeah, no, beer and roads are not, they, no, bad things to mix. I, I, I agree. I agree. Electronics and roads, different story. 
Yeah, and electronics and beer is fine. I'm low voltage. I can't shock myself. <laughs> uh, so you you, you kind of talked about uh, a little of everything there. You know, when you're dealing with your new hires, uh, from low level stuff to you know cloud things. So you're yeah. applying really two projects from Awkward Engineer. You have your uh, voltmeter clock, and then you also have your latest project that you're kind of documenting on the site the um, the bus stop tracker. Yeah, the the bus stop tracker is a fun project. It it shows like I really I really love integrated product development and I wanted a, a a sign there are four bus routes that go by my house and I didn't like opening up my laptop to check for the bus and I I I realized I've become internet addicted so actually I've ditched my smartphone. Oh wow. Gone back hmm. to the old school. I call it my high school dropout phone cuz it's not <laughs> it's not a it's not a smartphone. No, no emails, nothing. Nothing. Wow. Um, You're uh, hmm. part of the new hipster movement. Yeah. I, I mean, I still check the internet on my laptop. Like don't don't think I've given up like cold turkey here. <laughs> like I, I just I realized I had an issue and it was how I manage it. So, but I I wanted to know when the buses were coming. Uh, so I call it single-purpose dedicated hardware. And I really love the idea of having a permanent display on my living room wall that also, very importantly, needed to look cool. Um, and so I, I started doing the mechanical work to house the thing, the electrical work to support some seven-segment displays. Uh, and also some of the embedded work to drive the displays and a bit of the cloud work to process the next bus API. And so now I've got this thing on my wall and it, it shows the time for the next two buses uh, on any one of four routes outside of my house. Very nice. So it's an example of a project like I, I can't stop making things. It's a good way for me to sort of hone and practice my skills and it, it's the sort of thing that I would love to turn into a Kickstarter, um, but there, I guess there's there's additional work to to push it to that fully commercialized stage, and I, I've stopped kind of shy of that. Yeah, this one would need a lot more customization than the just the alarm clock because you have to have the the sign say the bus routes. That's right. Plug it in themselves. There's some user setup. Yeah. Yeah, and and one of my biggest fears with an internet connected product like this is if the next bus API changes or goes down or it's a, like a fee for service model, like I'm going to have all this hardware in the field that, you know, I, I need to potentially support for like the next five years, if not longer. And I just, my, my appetite for doing that right now like, yeah. was not, was not super high. Yeah. Not to mention the whole, uh, security aspect too of an internet of things thing as well yeah well so i i had started off using uh beagle bone um and then i i fried my beagle bone at one point and <laughs> i i took it as an opportunity to switch to a particle and so the the particle is a little is that an intel board no a separate company like completely okay. independent i think they're using a broadcom chip as their main brain, but they're like completely open source company, but they run a back end for you. And so they, uh -huh, okay. they keep, uh, they keep the gateway open to the actual like device itself. And so I'm, I'm making API calls. There's, there's lots of different ways to actually implement it. 
Um, so it's got a TCP IP stack on the device itself. And I was like, you know, I could try and find a C library out there that I could put on the device itself and try and parse the Nextbus API. The thought, the thought of trying to get that C library like to work just didn't appeal to me. But instead, I you can write code in Python, and I, I ended up putting it on the cloud so I wouldn't need it to... Like, it's running on the AWS stack. Mm-hmm. And Python... AWS is Amazon, right? For our listeners out yep. there, yeah. Yeah, and I suppose I could have set up like a, a local server, but... Then I know I'd have to set up a local server. <laughs> you gotta be the IT guy too. Yeah. That's just yeah. yeah, that's not fun. And so the 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 Python makes it super easy to process the next bus feed. And then I actually use Particle's backend API. So I send a message to Particle servers, and then Particle servers have the gateway to my specific device in my living room, and they've taken care of a lot of that work for you. Gotta love Python. It's probably like three lines of code. Import, yeah. bust, yeah. <laughs> done. <laughs> I, I want to say there was like maybe fifteen or twenty, but it, it wasn't. It wasn't too much. Yeah, yeah. I'm far from a Python guru, but I love just being able to Google whatever the hell you want, and there's a Python library for it. No, very, very true. That the Python parser was like the. It's called Beautiful Soup, and it's <laughs> it's awesome for scraping HTML sites scraping xml feeds that sort of thing yeah that's a great name too so sam you were talking about making these api calls and when you said next bust i i assumed it was like a a, a networking bus like mod bus or something and uh, looked it up real oh. quickly <laughs> next bus is something completely different yeah i i don't understand who's running it or where they get money or how it works or, or how it happens but Nextbus connects to a bunch of municipal like transportation systems, and they have a public and free feed of like if your if your city's transportation system uses it. Like I mean, I'm outside Boston, um, but you're lucky enough to have a transportation system. Yeah, there's there's an app <laughs> for the phone, and so you can use the phone app. You can use a website, and then they make their API like publicly available. So if you want to hook into it, it's super easy to do. Well, that is very neat. And, and so I notice on your, uh, on your blog, you've, I can see the, uh, the sign and I noticed that you've got the, the times, what I assume are, uh, wait times for the next bus. Yep. And down in the very lower right hand corner, I see four little, what look like four little led lights. What, what do those do? So kind of in the process of developing this thing, when I, one of the reasons I switched away from the BeagleBone, um, the Python library for the BeagleBone didn't have a good I2C recovery if the I2C lines latched up. And so I put flashing lights in the corner because otherwise you're just staring at this display for like, you know, it says the bus <laughs> is coming in five minutes. You know, if the bus isn't there in five minutes or, or, or if something crashed in the background, like it, it, right. it, it gets an update uh, from the next. It's not continuous. It just updates every 30 seconds. And so it, mm-hmm. if it's below a minute, it will display seconds. So you'll see it go like 59, 58, 57. And so having those flashing lights in the corner, uh, one of the four lights is just a heartbeat to know that it's running. Uh, and then the ah. other three uh, kind of count down 
over this course of 30 seconds until the next uh, until the next update arrives. So if the I LEDs see. are like if the LEDs are fully lit for a really long time, or they're they're fully off for a really long time, and by mm. a long time I mean like five seconds, then you know that okay. something is not not quite right underneath. <laughs> okay, <laughs> very good. So how many buses did you miss before you realized you did that feature? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. So I don't take the bus that often, but when I do, it's really nice. But I was like this little kid, and I'd sit there watching my countdown timer, and then I'd go to the window because I can see the bus stop, you know, right right yeah. out the street. And so, <laughs> so I, I was sitting there wondering why it wasn't changing, <laughs> and then <laughs> when I figured it out, you've just traded your internet addiction in for a bus watching addiction. Yeah. <laughs> Back to the drawing board. What's the worst part of that is you're using the internet indirectly to feed a new bus watching addiction. True, but it's it's minimal impact to bandwidth. The 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 bill from Amazon Web Services over the last like six months, I think, has amounted to like three dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so not too bad of an addiction. Yeah. You can afford that. That's cheaper than a data plan. Yeah. So uh, shifting gears a little bit, um, going back to right grid, you mentioned you had some units on the way to, was it Ghana? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So do you have any plans once they're uh, set up or while they're being set up to go to Africa yourself and help with the install or to check in on them? So so there's a ch- chance that I can end up going. Uh, CEO is very likely to go. I have my yellow fever vaccines and all those fun things. So there's, there's a, a very good chance I could go, but it's not for certain. Nice. And would that be sometime in 2018 or farther down the road? Uh, so the units are supposed to be landing very soon, and then they got to clear customs and all those other good things. So, so we, you'd yeah. like to think it'd be this year, but you know we've we've got a month and a half of this year left, and those things can unfortunately take a while. So it might push into Q1 of next year. Okay. And honestly, who wants to travel during Christmas time, anyways? It's true. So while we were setting up for the show, you mentioned part of this was made possible on, uh, you know, f- through a generous grant from Microsoft. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So Microsoft has uh, an internet connectivity initiative. Um, just bring internet to more places in the world. Mm-hmm. And this is Microsoft itself, not uh, like the Gates Foundation. No, not the Gates Foundation. This is Microsoft, the company. Okay. Uh, cool. So don't think that we haven't been working the gates foundation because you know we've been flying <laughs> you, you got bill on speed dial you call yeah. billy <laughs> so the i guess the the grant program like it's just a, a general goal to improve internet connectivity and they they wrote us a check for 100k and i guess the the strings attached were they wanted it used for hardware they didn't want it used for like salaries which is you know a totally totally reasonable string to attach to the thing and so yeah make sure something actually gets built and developed yeah we had a kind of a, a chicken and egg problem that we we knew africa was the market that we wanted to get to it's difficult to build just one unit it ends up being really expensive to build and ship one and then 
if you really wanted to get the cost down, you'd be into the scale of doing like a hundreds and, and then the cost per unit comes down to a more reasonable level. And so, mm-hmm. you know, people didn't, they couldn't afford to do one and take the risk out of it by learning from the one. And they couldn't afford to do hundreds either because that would be just too risky. So you had this sort of chicken and egg problem. And what the yeah. Microsoft grant allowed us to do was kind of take control of our own fate and say, these units are going to belong to us. We're going to take responsibility for them. We will ship them overseas. And so that's that's sort of where we are right now. Yeah, it helped you get your uh, your legs, if you will. Yeah. So what kind of power do you get out of these chargers? You know, you mentioned cell phones. Can they power anything bigger or so we're charging uh we can charge up to 10 cell phones at once we've got a large lead acid battery in the bottom of our station uh, 150 Mm -hmm. watt solar panel on top Uh, we can also run uh, a microwave internet connection so we can cook your hot pocket and connect to the internet (laughs) one of the challenges uh like there, there are a lot of things going on at once. So nothing kills a cell phone like watching, you know, videos <laughs> over high yeah. speed broadband <laughs> connection. Uh, and then some of these broadband internet companies, they also need their customers to have power. And so we've got uh, like a little portable microwave base station, our, our micro call it an endpoint. And provides, you know, a a multi-gigabit per second internet connection, shoots back to a base station. The base station can be kilometers away. And so now we've got a high-speed internet connection on our station so that we can can provide, like, Netflix video or whatever else you want to have. We have power, so we can run the base station, and we can also charge consumers' phones. And then the thing is solar powered, so anywhere there's sun, you can basically drop it down and you can be set up and running in less than 15 minutes. Wow, that's incredible. Are there plans for future generations to kind of link these together? So instead of having one with one lead acid battery and, you know, 150 watts capability, you could get 300, 450 all at once if you needed it? So one of the ideas that we've kicked around is creating like little mini call it like a, a cell phone garden, maybe some sort of like mm-hmm. the center of some public place where you start having like a, a center of commerce. So you start adding like, it's not just the cell phones, but now you've got like markets nearby as well. And then you could have, yeah. then you could have a, a whole bunch of, you know, but just base cell phone charging stations, all sharing Wi-Fi off one unit. Okay. So you kind of, kind of like making a microgrid of sorts or a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it, our company name is Wright Grid. So the founder is founder is Ryan Wright, like the Wright brothers, and then and then we've got the grid in there because we, you know, we the the power connectation, the the power grid. Clever, clever. <laughs> um, what made you decide to go with a lead acid battery instead of lithium ion? Was it a cost thing or a durability thing? Uh, so cost and weight. Uh, but weight, not the direction you think like having a heavier, these things are portable. And so having the Mm -hmm. heavier lead acid battery in the bottom actually made for it's, it's like ballast. Oh, okay. So it could stand up during storms or getting hit by an animal or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Lead acid batteries are plenty heavy. (laughs) It it is a heavy battery. That's for sure. (laughs) 
And so you mentioned that numerous people could be charging their phones at the same time. So ex- how do you how do you work that? Do people just stand around and wait for the phone, or do they leave their phone? Or, exactly, how does this thing uh, allow multiple people to plug in at the same time? So we actually have a, a locker system, and so one of the things with the the financial model that we're trying to work, we we'd like to have this pay per charge model which is what already happens in many places in Africa. People will pay to charge off a diesel generator. Mm-hmm. And so that, that pay-per-charge model exists. What we really want to be able to do is, as a business, collect some of the recurring revenue of that charging to be able to pay for like our Wi-Fi hotspot. Uh, it also allows us, if we can collect the revenue from individual charging, we can also afford to finance the stations and pay for them up front and then deploy them and then pay back, you know, whatever loan or other method was used to finance them. And so if you're trying to collect recurring revenue in a country like Africa, where it's the other side of the world, you, you really got to think carefully. Like you can't just, we're, we're trying not to sell goods at margin and, you know, never see them again. We're trying to stay in touch with them. Mm-hmm. And so the model we came up with, there was something sort of like a, a scratch-off system. So you'd get like a scratch-off lottery ticket. So in this case, you would sell the ticket. Uh, the ticket would be valid for one charge. You'd scratch off your, your ticket. You'd get a code or a number. You'd type that into the locker or into the station, and then a locker would pop open. Mm. And then you can plug your phone in close the locker, secure it, walk around, enjoy whatever local amenities there might be there, whatever marketplace, whatever it has to offer. Mm-hmm. And then you come back, enter your code, and retrieve your phone from the locker. Mm. So that's so we we've we've got essentially we've got 10x of everything. So you know we've got 10 cell phone charging chips, 10 lockers, 10 sensors. So that, that's the motivation behind that design. All right. And about how long do you, you know, on average, does somebody have to wait for their system, for their phone to charge? So we can emulate the USB charging spec. And so we can charge just as fast as a a regular wall charger. Oh, great. Are you, are you feature proofing them to use more of the, like the USB C and the type three power delivery specs where you can get up to, you know, 20 volts and five amps? So we're still, we're still at the 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 micro USB spec. Okay. It's like I think the BS one dot two. But if we needed to update our circuit boards to support it, like the USB C it wouldn't be a problem. Cool. You guys have thought of everything. You just need a little cooler in there for uh some beers or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I I know you're on vacation, so we can't uh can't keep you too much longer. Since we've Last spoke, you've also had time to start a family as well. You have a son now, uh, actually. You're, yeah. yeah you're, you're taking him out now to geek out at the, the Space Center, correct? <laughs> That's right. We went to the Space Center today, so he turns three next month. Oh, wow. So you had him to celebrate your podcast uh, debut, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> That's what we'll say anyways. <laughs> um <laughs> So does he get to help you as you're, you know, uh, tinkering around at home or, you know, at work or something? Are you trying to get him involved? Is, is he old enough to do that sort of thing yet? Uh, for some things, I, 
I definitely, I, I really enjoy making things for him. Mm-hmm. So I, I started making some laser cut toys for him. Uh, it's just laser cut cardboard. But for when he turned two, I made laser cut cardboard airplanes and all the little kids uh, got airplanes in their goodie bags. Oh, cool. And they, they spent like 20 minutes putting stickers on them and coloring and had a great time. So I've, I, I made the airplanes for him. I'd be um, impressed with that too. You can send one to me. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he helped me uh, put together his high chair. He likes turning screws and nuts and bolts, so I made him. I, I saw him playing with like the Allen wrench, and so I went to the hardware store and I got some half thirteen nuts and bolts. So these are big, fat, chunky, yeah, you know, nuts and bolts. And I got I got them stainless steel, so I feel little better about that and then i uh i used uh oh my mind is going blank but in, instead of using like a uh like a socket head where it's got this this big bolt head where his fingers could get pinched underneath it mm-hmm. and a half 13 bolt can generate a lot of clamp force i ended up using uh set screws so set screw has no no head to it yep you know, you can't pinch anything. Mm-hmm. And so I, I 3D printed this little thing and I embedded the nuts into it. And now he's got this little toy where he'll sit and he'll turn the little set screws back and forth. And he knows righty tighty lefty loose. So <laughs> I'm doing something right as a mechanical engineer. There you go. By the time he's five, it could be your technician. Yeah. You pay him in goldfish crackers. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you know, I know some 20 uh, something year olds who don't know that. So you're oh. doing a good job. I, you know what? I tell it to myself every time I turn a screw, righty tighty, lefty. Oh yeah, and especially when you're like reaching underneath and you're it's reversed, so you're like, well, they wait, no, yeah. my right, left now, and. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not going to admit to uh, last time I changed my oil how long it took me to get the drain plug off. <laughs> righty tighty, lefty, loose—they're words to live by. Oh yeah, yep, it's a mantra. Um, so just closing out the show, do you have any tips for our, our listeners who might be thinking of getting involved in, you know, some project that's outside of their comfort zone and don't really know where to get started? Like any techniques that have worked for you just to tackle something new? Mostly just, just do it. I, I'm a big believer in steam. So not just STEM, but steam. So that's science, technology, engineering, art, and math. So it, it's the wanting to build something, having an end goal in mind. Like my bus sign, you know, I, I hadn't written Python code in a while. You know, I, I'd done circuit board layout before, but hadn't done anything with it in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was because I wanted the bus sign that I did all those other things. You know, having, having a good project and something that you want as the motivation to do other things, I, I think that's the way to go. Yeah, I've found that helpful too. If I have something in my head that needs to get done, I'm way more inclined to finish it than, you know, the notebooks I have here of cool project ideas and interesting tidbits and app notes I'll read one day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, you need something to give you that little push. I had a, a friend and one of his, one of my favorite quotes from him, he said, nobody wants to write code. Like, don't learn to write code. People want to solve problems. If you could solve problems without writing code, then you would. That's my job today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why I picked it. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, there's there's a lot to remember by that. Yeah. Like, 
if you just want to write code, like you're going to have an uphill battle. But if you want to make something, that that gives you a good reason to do it. Yeah, I think that's that's great advice. Adam, Jeff, do you guys have anything for Sam? Well, so I thought I would ask. I, I know that you have now gone through several microsystems uh, for your various projects, and uh, yep, I guess I'd say for somebody who's who uh, is getting into that, you know, maybe is a mechanical engineer or comes from an engineering field where they don't have any prior experience with microprocessors or, or, uh, you know, uh, low level programming. What would be your advice for getting started? Obviously finding a project, but you know, should they, should they automatically jump into the, uh, the Arduino bandwagon or should they, they try something a little different? You know, I think an Arduino is a great place to start because so much just works outside of the like right out of the box and you you don't need to worry about like obscure c compiler flags Mm -hmm. but as soon as you're like comfortable working on an arduino and you want to push a little further like there's no reason you can't use an arduino development board and start writing pure c like for it and going outside of what Arduino's libraries provide for you. Mm-hmm. Like if you want to start power optimization on an Arduino, then you can. Like if you want to start writing interrupt service routines for an Arduino, you definitely can. It, it's not in Arduino's like main yeah, documentation, I guess. Mm-hmm. But the the Atmel chip that's actually on the Arduino, like the the Atmel AT Mega, mm-hmm. like you can still write code for that. So I, I would say start with the Arduino, writing, you know, Arduino flavored C. And then as soon as you're ready, like start, I'd, I'd start by poking around like interrupt subroutines and then maybe poking around some of the things that you can turn on and off, like all, some of the power saving features. And right. I think that'd be a good way to get started. Yeah, I think an easy one too that I've heard is like speeding up the PWM because the way the Arduino does it is very slow. Oh, well, they got soft. So, yeah, that's a good example. So that's the difference between probably software PWM, which is available on all the Arduino pins, or doing hardware PWM, which is, you know, built into the chip itself at a low level and only available on certain output ports. Yes. Cool. All right. Well, Sam, we appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you very much for your time. If any of our listeners want to get in contact with you, is the Awkward Engineer page the best way to do it? Yeah, there's a contact page for Awkward Engineer or just questions at Awkward Engineer. And then Facebook and Twitter eventually get to me, but I prefer email. All right. We'll make sure we have all the appropriate links then. Thank you very much for coming on, Sam. And hopefully we talk to you again before three years is up. (laughs) All right. Feel feel free to call me sooner. All right. Sounds good. (laughs) Have a good day. You too. Bye. 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 The Engineering Commons is produced in affiliation with Big Beacon, a social movement for transforming engineering education. For more information about the podcast you've just heard, please visit theengineeringcommons.com. Our musical introduction is by John Trimble and our concluding theme by Paul Stevenson.